Hey everybody, happy Halloween at It's a Mimic. This is our favorite holiday out there. We absolutely love this entire month. You can tell because we're giving you literally more podcasts than most of you can listen to in the span of a month. And we're super excited to do everything horror. We've brought undead, character death. We've done black dragons. We've done the Shadowfell. We've talked about horror. We're talking about uh, all sorts of uh, Call of Cthulhu stuff. We've had specials on fiends. We've just been everything horror and ridiculous things. And we're very excited about this entire month. And so we thought we would bring it all together and talk about kind of the the other side of things uh, away from the elves and the dwarves and the orcs. And we would talk about the kind of strangest, the, the newest of the classes, considering it's in 5th edition. Right, Dan, you want to back me up? All of the other 11 were in 3.5. Oh, yeah. and But yeah. warlocks... Warlocks, warlocks existed in 3.5 in a very different way, they were, but they were like a, what, like... Were they a prestige class? 20th... No, they were a full class, but they were like a 20th book in by a third-party publisher kind of level thing. Like, they weren't by any means a standard, and 4th came out, and they weren't a thing in 4th, or were they? I don't even remember 4th. I try to block that shit out. <laughs> but, I think they were a thing in 4th, and that's where they originally came in. But the thing is that it's radically different and you can tell they've got a very different feel than any other kind of spellcaster any other kind of class they definitely feel like the weird one if you want to start magic you're starting with the cleric or you're starting with a wizard right maybe a sorcerer but mm-hmm. warlock gives you a really strange perspective on what magic is yeah if you're if you're a new player dipping your toe into a warlock for the first time you're you're going to have a bad time and and while there's stuff out there about fey and there's a ton of stuff about archdevils there's really not a whole lot about the great old ones besides some passing mention of Cthulhu. And so we wanted to sit down and talk today about that. And while everybody else is gearing up and they're, they've got their pumpkin carving going, I mean, we know that Terry is out trolling the clubs right now looking for a vampire goth girl. And Megan is probably drunken on a sugar high dancing on a table. And Brad is probably in bed by 830. Yeah, probably. He's, he's a good boy. Yeah. But so it's it's... Dan and I, we're here, and we're here with uh, with intern Dave, who is no longer going to be intern Dave after this. He's finally earned a spot on the roster, assuming you don't fuck this up. Uh, and a salary. No. 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 <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn it, Dan. <laughs> so, uh, you guys will know Dave from the uh, Call of Cthulhu, the Deep Dark of Radiance podcast we've been playing. He plays Gun. Also, our relentless abuse for the past year on the actual podcast. Yeah. yeah. I still cry. Good. Good. You yeah. deserve to. But we're still waiting on all of those answers that Terry asked for. Anyway, let's cut to, let's cut to the music and let's launch into the concept of cosmic horror and away from high fantasy, shall we? Another special episode of It's a Mimic. Hey, shut up, intern. Welcome to another special episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, a roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Dan. With me, as always, is Adam, and as never, is Dave. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And today we're talking about uh, Warlock patrons, specifically Great Old Ones and their source. Cool. I'm super excited about this. This is, a, like, I don't know why anybody bothers with anything else. I, as a matter of fact, I don't know of anyone that's ever chosen anything besides Great Old One for a patron. Uh, I have played in your game as a Celestial Warlock. 
I don't even know that. I don't because I don't give a shit. <laughs> anyway. But no, no, like great old ones. They're they're the ones everyone chooses. Is your yeah, other great old one or your great? Yeah, they're yeah. they're actually great, and I, I I love them. They're they've got a really interesting flavor. It's the only class that you're going to be able to get like telepathy at level three. Yeah, and you know I like them because they're freaking weird, and we don't get enough of the aberrations and mm-hmm. enough of the far realm stuff, and they really feel like they're coming from even beyond the far realms. Exactly. Like, they're they're from the outer reaches. But their origins are far more humble in modern pop culture. And today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be breaking down some gods, giving you guys as warlock dungeon masters, as warlock um, players, an idea of who to go with as a deity or a, uh, um, or a patron for your warlock. Um, Look, because the only thing that people are grabbing is Cthulhu. And there's so much more cool shit out there. And I feel like everyone goes, Lovecraft. And you can't really get any further than Cthulhu with your base research. Because mm-hmm. everything just kind of leads back to big old tentacles. Right? So so let's uh, let's kind of pull the film off this a little bit. Yeah. And, and find out what are we dealing with. And okay, where the fuck did this shit come from, Dan? What- so so um, H.P. Lovecraft, who was born... August 20th in 1890, Howard Phillips Lovecraft was born in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, Dude had a messed up life. His dad died when he was young. His mom um, and the rest of their family never recovered. So he was basically raised by his grandparents, um, whose names were Whipple (laughs) and Robbie. So Whipple was his grandmother? Whipple was his grandfather and Robbie was his grandmother. Um, And... They were kind of relentless people. They were very early 1900s type people where um, the weak Howard Phillips Lovecraft had several phobias. Dude was afraid of the dark. And in response to that, Whipple decided to shut him in a dark house and made him get out. That seems like a great, great idea. Yeah. Man, that is freaking, that's superhero shit. That's when super he, villain shit. When that's he Umbrella was Academy. four that, years old, Oh my this God, that's, that's freaking Magneto level, like torture chamber shit. Yeah, right? like, so um, after this was all done, he had nightmares for the rest of his life. Not surprisingly. Dude was a shut-in. He was a bit weird looking. Um, after his mom's His face died, does look like a shoe. It, it does. Once his mom died and his grandparents died and a lot of his aunts died, he was raised by his... Um, okay, hold on. So so everybody that he knew except for Whipple and Robbie died? Oh, no. Whipple and Robbie died. The only one that lived was his aunt Susie, who straight up hated him. Jesus. Well, at which point did he get his letter to wizarding school? Um, I, I I don't think a uh, owl ever flew near his house. It was, it was all just bats. Yeah, just bats. Just bats. Endless bats. And uh, the things that would haunt him in his dreams called night gaunts. This guy makes Voldemort look like a happy, sunny, you know, rainbows and unicorn loving kid. Right? Like, there's a lot going on. Thing is, H.P. Lovecraft was a real person in real world. So he started writing because he was a, he was xenophobic. He was afraid to go outside. Um, and his aunt's basically locked him in his room so that he would not affect her social life. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Super healthy upbringing. So he had, well, was he written by Charles Dickens? Um, it sounds like it. Like there's, there's so much going on in the life of HB Lovecraft that you think it's fiction, but a lot of this rings true. It's, it's, it's absolutely bizarre that someone like this has 
lived this kind of life. And and that was the only life he did live because didn't he die in poverty and like an unknown? And before his works were ever fully popularized, he was long dead. He was in like weird tales and some he of the was. pulp he, magazines he, and he shit. Wrote, but he, he wasn't. wrote a lot of pulp magazines and had a couple like. Um, pen pals as well that would write back and forth and encourage him but for the most part dude was a shut-in and died as a shut-in in poverty before his uh, tales ever really took off and he started writing poems and uh, used his nightmares as inspiration for these cosmic horror level entities that were coming in he was also taking a lot from his uh, peers at the time who were also writing these weird twisted uh, fantasies and and alien um like entities from the outside coming in it was big time for that in the world of the spiritual movement which was huge in the 1920s as well like he kind of hit his stride right at the right point and because of that he wrote dozens of these cosmic entity level like cosmic horrors into the into fiction that we now pull from four great old ones as a warlock class. But it's all it's all short stories and novellas. He doesn't have big and poems, novels. Yeah. yeah, and poems. There's no big, like, 400-page novels. He's not Stephen King, right? No. He's Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Right? Like, that's who we're talking about as far as the, the breadth of his, of his work. Yeah. And every single last one, I mean, dude just liked to throw consonants at a board and... That was his name for a thing. Like, you'll notice as you're... As we're going through a lot of these... Uh, these entities, these patrons, that we're going to be pronouncing pronouncing them. No, we're pronouncing them. We're going to be pronouncing them as we want. Basically, they're for Cthulhu. They're there alone. There are forty-one different translations. Yeah. See. Okay. So I did a whole lot of research into the proper ways of doing this. I found so many YouTube videos that were different pronunciations and whatnot. Every one of them is slightly different, mm-hmm. and. There are the quote-unquote purists out there, but even amongst the purists, they argue. The idea behind it, and it says in the works themselves, these names are unknowable. Our mortal mouths cannot make the necessary noises in order to truly say these words. If you had no teeth, three tongues, and four mouths, you might have a chance. But since we only have the one of all of those, we're good. You only have one tooth? Well, it's one big one. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Awkward. Fuck. All right. So anyways, so what we're doing today is we're going to be breaking down um, 12 deities that H.P. Lovecraft brought in to use as options for your great old one patron as a warlock. Um, now, DMs, you guys can pull from this as well to uh, know how to behave or how to act as these patrons, players... A lot of this is going to involve a lot of discussion between your DM and you to figure out where you stand on your mission, where these guys are going to be wanting you to move, how they want you to move, how they want you to act in the world. This is not your cleric. This is not your paladin. This is not the people, oh, I have a god and he's over there and once in a while I pray to him and then I get to smite something real hard. Right? That's not what this is. There's a complicated relationship between a warlock and their patron. And I think a lot of that shit gets hand-waved. Mm-hmm. Right, because we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. There's so much flavor here. Like, I don't, I don't understand how people are like, no, yeah, great old one. I get telepathy every once in a while, and that's as deep as it goes. No, dig deep, man. These things are wanting you to sow discord and malcontent among everybody, or or not. But it could, like, it could be positive things. They may want you to to, to create happiness, but their version of happiness. Not your version of happiness. Exactly. And there's there's really alien mindsets behind all of it. 
and we talk a little bit about alien mindsets in um in the Shadowfell episode and in the Feywild episode. I feel like this is this and Hags. That's where you get the really weird perspective on on life and Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. So so what we're going to do is uh, we've each got four gods that we're going to be breaking down. We're going to roll the dice and we are going to just go over one by one these gods. We're going to give a brief description, um, a kind of modus operandi of these deities and uh, how to run them in your games and tips and, tri- uh, tips and tricks for that. So, uh, gentlemen, grab your dice and uh, let's roll. See who goes first. Botch. Well, start intern, off strong, Dave. Intern Dave, you start with a one. You're fired. Damn it! <laughs> no, we need him. He's got four gods to cover. Okay, you're fired in an hour and a half. <laughs> All right, Dan, you rolled highest. You're All first. right, I'm, I'm going to start with uh, Atlaknaka. Who I'm is sorry? Atlaknaka? Think of that scene from Galaxy Quest where they're talking, and they, you're, you're in the right headspace. Atlaknaka. Atlaknaka. Atlaknaka is a gigantic spider-like creature with the with a humanoid face over a distended long onyx body it is uh there's a very similar creature in the dark tower series in the later books oh so, is there? yeah so i'm really excited about this one yeah atlaknaka's first appearance was in 1934's the seven geshes um and for those of you who are out there in the world and want to read this it's g e a s e s Okay, so they don't have to guess how to spell it? They don't have to guess how to spell it. Um, he is a massive spider god who spins the webs uh, that connect reality to the dreamlands. This is um, a creature of monumental size. This guy is uh, said to be as large as a mountain in size with these massive tree trunk sized spindly legs that reach down. And um, he's got this humanoid face, but he's very contemplative he's not exactly outward uh malignant and like he's not out there being evil he's more curious and uh wants to understand how humanity works and and how our brains kind of tweak so he he is not necessarily an evil source he's more neutral i wouldn't say he's good because he still demands sacrifices to himself but he oh i mean you gotta eat you gotta eat right um so he's more about knowledge. He's more about planar knowledge as well. And it's often said that his webbing can create portals to other realms, namely the dreamland, which is where Cthulhu spends a lot of his times. So he's really built into the uh, web of Lovecraftian great old one lore this way. Now, as a Dungeons and Dragons patron, this guy would be getting you to collect odd, obscure pieces of um, aberrant knowledge of uh, far-off planes and, and try to collect all of these weird pieces of information to maybe form a way to summon something in through the gate, through the dreamland, something that's trapped there. Um, that's what I would uh, get him to do. Guys, what do you think about Atlaknaka? Okay, so... What's interesting is that, first of all, the plane of dreams is one of those far realm planes that nobody talks about. Yeah. It is out there. You can get there from the Astral Sea, uh, which is a load of fun because you have that weird silvery thread on the top of your head. Is your, you? I think you can astral project into the uh, plane of dreams. It's one of the only two places where you can just 
naturally do that, the other mm-hmm. one being the Astral Sea. Um, so I I wouldn't take it from that. I, I'm looking at this creature who is connecting the dreamscape to reality and is curious, wants to understand. I don't think it understands what reality is. And it only sees mortals' dreams, which have their own unique logic and make no sense. And it probably thinks that people are fucking crazy. And it just wants to know how people work and why. And I would almost come at it with almost uh, like, like a fae perspective. Yeah, yeah, right? very much. Where you're you're sitting there and your patron, your patron says, okay, why are you awake during the day? I don't understand. Is there not safety in the darkness? Why is the darkness so feared by everyone? Why does everyone... Why is why is everyone afraid that their teeth are going to fall out? How how many what's big, wrong with falling? Yeah, how many big <laughs> cliffs are there in the prime material plane? If you guys are always so scared of falling, right? And and you would have all of these crazy different perspectives. Dan, you recently played a character in a little one shot campaign where you were recording how every character died because you were a cleric of death. Um, I would have uh, this be almost kind of the same thing where you were recording how people are acting and trying to figure out why maybe your character is insane and is and just does not understand why people do the things that they do what is marriage why would you mate why would you couple up doesn't make not make more sense for you to have many mates and spread your gene pool wide right and just strange perspectives on things yeah and that's how i would try to run um a track that's what it was Davey, what do you think? I, I like what you guys are saying. I think it makes perfect sense. Uh, I'm not as well informed about the astral plane and dream worlds and stuff, so I'm going to have to trust you on that one. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know what I can add to this. So this so, this guy would communicate to your warlock. I, I The way I always like thinking about warlock patrons is how they communicate. And I think just saying, oh, you have a vision where your god does this is a bit of a cop-out. Well, I think that he, of course, communicates through dreams. Communicates through dreams, but I, I think they're like spawned on dreams. No, I, right? I, I like, think that I think you're just like narcoleptic. You just are in the middle of battle, all of a sudden, and down you go, face plant, take one point of damage because you just biffed it, and then you have a vision. Yeah, and the vision is like buckets. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, yeah. So that's I don't know. That's how I would. Yeah, I would also do the thing where, uh, because a lot of the Great Old One uh, stuff is psychic, I would have things like your character sitting down reading a book and the words change to be buckets, what the fuck, or something like that on the page where you're, you know, you're doing your research and all of a sudden the words are just messed up and then it doesn't reset. So you've just lost to this section of pages until you figure out, okay, well, how do I tell my god? Why we use buckets. So this is Pact of the Tome would be a good one. Oh, Pact of the Tome for this I, I guy I could see Pact sure. of the Chain if you have a spider as well. Yep. I'm, a, I'm 100% on board with that. So, okay. Okay. Adam, you're uh, next. That was me. All right, look. You're all sitting there and, and you're you're waiting because you're like, oh, it's Lovecraft. It's going to be Cthulhu. Let's just get this out of the way right now. I pulled the straw and got Cthulhu. Um, first of all, there are a million different ways to pronounce Cthulhu, uh, but there's no actual proper one despite what the nerds on the internet say. The first appearance was in 1928's short story called Call of Cthulhu. Uh, he's also known as the High Priest of the Great Old Ones, the Great Dreamer, the Sleeper of Rillier. Uh, I Again, uh, it's... Rillier is a city. R- Rillier is a city that sank. It's beneath the oceans, um, and he is apparently asleep in it. There is another one of these words that is a nonsense garbage word that people argue about how to pronounce it all the time. 
um, but it's R apostrophe L-Y-E-H. I'm going to put all of these spellings in the show notes. If you're interested, you can check him out there. Uh, he's also known as uh, the Star Spawn. He's not an Elder God. He's just a great old one. And there is a distinction. The Elder Gods are like the gods of creation, and the Great Old Ones are their children that walk around and muck shit up. Right? So, um... He's described as a malevolent entity, uh, and he's hibernating underwater. Uh, Rilia, uh, is in the South Pacific, specifically. Cthulhu is apparently the source of the constant anxiety for mankind at a subconscious level. So I'm pretty Thanks, sure, bud. I'm pretty sure he has a Tumblr page. <laughs> um, and he's also the subject of worship by a number of cults and religions. The short story guarantee, uh, guarantees in the work that Cthulhu will eventually return, and there's not a fucking thing you can do about it. He's considered a great old one within the pantheon of Lovecraftian cosmic entities. The creature's since been featured in numerous popular culture references, um, but Lovecraft depicts him as a gigantic entity worshipped by cultists. He looks like he's an octopus, a dragon, and a caricature of a human form. He has pulpy, tentacled head surmounted with grotesque and scaly body with rudimentary wings, and he's, again, as large as a mountain, so... I mean, do with that what you will. The octopus dragon doesn't really suit the image that I see out there in pop culture where he's just like, just just a fat guy with, with wings and tentacle face. But I, I can see how we landed on this. Uh, there was also a drawing in one of the books that depicted him looking kind of what the famous one is. Yeah. But the drawing was actually of a little totem and not him itself. So it was a totem. It was a uh, representation of what someone, a fictional someone, thought he may look like. And now we say that's canon. Yeah. So you can really kind of make Cthulhu whatever you want him to be. Um, one of his cultists actually reports that uh, the Great Old Ones are telepathic and knew all that was occurring in the universe. They were able to communicate with the first humans by molding their dreams and therefore establish the Cthulhu cult. Um, but after Relia, Relia, I don't even remember how I pronounce it now. It's anyway, after it sank beneath the waves, um, it says the deep waters, quote unquote, the deep waters full of the one primal mystery through which not even thought can pass had cut off the spectral intercourse. That <laughs> sex. Nothing, guys. Just all right. Moving along. Um, speaking <laughs> of sex. Head priests are said to be immortal, implying that Cthulhu can grant that at will. So whether or not we're dealing with telepathy, it sounds like all of the gods that we're going to talk about technically give you telepathy, which I think is how why it comes like built in with the Great Old One um, subclass. Mm -hmm. But apparently Cthulhu also gives you immortality, which just, again, would that come hard-baked? Well, you get like, false life pretty quick with uh, the Great Old One. Um, yeah, this seems like something that like high-level monks and druids get, and they got to fucking earn it, and you're kind of getting it with a hand wave from a Great Old One. So I think that there's got to be some sort of ritual that I would work in as a DM. Um, the cultists have been known to inhabit everywhere between deserts to Arctic zones and uh, like seaside and swamps. They've been all over, so you're really not bound by a specific location. Uh, and they have a chant, and the chant sounds like this. Hey, this is Adam. You can check the show notes to actually read what the chant is, but uh, you're not actually supposed to say it out loud because it's apparently super fucking cursed. So I'm sitting here in the editing process listening to my own recorded voice say it over and over because, you know, I wanted to 
I wanted to put an effect on it and I wanted it to hold weight. And then um, all the power in my house went out while I was in the middle of doing this. And so for the sake of not angering the ancient old gods by chanting a forbidden phrase over and over again and then spreading it out to the world in all of your speakers and whatnot, I'm not going to include the the actual pronunciation on this. Sorry, um, but it's Halloween and I really don't want to have my voice be the harbinger, the catalyst for the apocalypse. So, yeah. And what it means is, in his house at Rilia, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming. Now... If I were going to use Cthulhu as a god, if I had if I had a player come to me and say, hey, you know what? I want to use him as a Great Old One's patron. I would say, uh, please don't. I would say that this is the same thing as having um, Batman or Gandalf show up in your game. I'm not interested in it. The same way that if someone says, hey, are we ever going to meet Dritzt? I'd say, no. I'm just just no. Yeah. That's not going to happen. That's we're, we're not doing a who's who of wacky fanfic nonsense that, that you want to play with. If you want to really dig into the warlock thing, try to pick something else that's that's not well known that you can own yourself, that you're not trying to fit in with. There are so many other options that are just as open-ended. Which is the point of this whole episode, honestly. Yeah. So, But, I mean, I think if you had to do Cthulhu, then everybody makes him aquatic, but that's just because he's sleeping underwater. He's not really about aquatic at all. He's about anxiety and dreams and telepathy, right? And he is about insanity and stress. Yeah. And I think that... It would be a curse to be immortal with the mindset of a cultist that prays to Cthulhu yeah. because you would be insane forever. Well, and, and if you look at the um, abilities that you get as a Great Old One Warlock, they all lead into this. You are twisting wills. You are twisting minds. You are twisting. Like, it's all very borderline psionic, right? It also, it also like, skews evil to me, right? It does. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. This is why... Warlocks are considered evil. It's not because of the Archfey, guys. It's because of this. Yeah. Well, level 14, you create thralls. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So, anyways, Davey, who you got next? Uh, I got... Shud Demel. Shud Demel. Shud... Shud Demel. Shud Demels. Shud Demel. Shud Demel is a mile-long great worm that burrows through the earth, uh, melting rocks in his wake. Uh, I imagine him to just be like this giant, I mean, as it says, worm that's a mile long and burrows, leaving <laughs> melting rocks in its wake. This is why you're an intern. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, he's not just like a regular worm, of course. As with everything Lovecraft, he's got giant tentacles hanging out of his mouth. Uh, so we're talking bigger than a purple worm. We're talking bigger than the Graboids in Tremors. Oh, much bigger. Bigger than the Sandworms in Beetlejuice. We're talking about the Sandworms in Dune? Yeah. Is that that's the level we're talking? Yeah. No, he's actually from uh, a race of creatures called Sithonians. Is that right? I think it's Cthonians. Cthonians. There's no wrong way to say this, right? No, no. Or no. I think... Well, uh, actually, Cthonian actually is a word, and it just means um, those that dwell underground. Not even underwater. Just underground. No, underground. As a matter of fact, Chthonic means subterranean. Hmm. That's a, that's a real word that just nobody uses. That makes sense. And uh, I'm a nerd. One of the other names he goes by is the Great Chthonian, uh, and another one is the Burrower Beneath. So, I mean, that all lines up. He used to be the moderate Chthonian, but he's really stepped up his game. It's, it's great for him. Yeah. 
he, like some of the other ones we've already discussed, is also telepathic. He has telepathy. He also has heat projection, which I'm assuming is what he uses to burrow. Uh, he, you know, uses he melts the rock in he front just of him. Got laser he beams, yeah, freaking laser beam, freaking worms head. with freaking laser beams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which allows him to tunnel at a ridiculously high speed. Do, do we have any reference to that for D and D? What ridiculously high speed is? I I know that like leviathans and shit can move like a mile a minute or a mile and around and shit like that. Oh. Or, or they've got winds that can go a mile and around. So if those things are mortal creatures, this thing might be able like that's the level of speed we're talking. Uh, I always kind of thought it was more like a white dragon burrowing through snow and ice. Okay, so I would say it would be faster than a white dragon burrowing through snow and ice. Like this is the thing where if you these are gods, these are gods. Right, so this this is a thing that if it's coming up on you, or you are trying to get away with it, or get away from it, you will not win. It will catch you. You need you need a portal. You need a portal, right? This thing can be anywhere okay. in moments. All right, that that's it. I would say look at your monk, right? Who is going to have the dash as a bonus action and all that nonsense with the increased movement speed? You find whatever the fastest technical build is. Times it by two, and that's how fast this thing moves. Does that? Yep. There's no rule. That's how I would homebrew it. I've, I've seen a build out there that breaks the speed of sound. So. Was it 3.5? No, fifth. Wow. Yeah. Weird. So, uh. Just outrunning thunder damage? Just out, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. Sorry, Dave, I cut you off. Uh, Shoot DeMille's first appearance was in 1969 in a. Ah, ah. Nice story called Cement Surroundings by Brian Lumley. Uh, one of the other rumors that circle around Shudamel is that he was the cause of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. This guy is underground uh, always. He is always moving. and he's So he's the guy who sunk Tokyo or, or Japan? I, I would go back a little further, like Atlantis. Yeah, I w- well, no. Did I he sink Rilia, or was there a specific catastrophe? I don't think there was a specific catastrophe that did it, but I I do know that there, like, I would have this guy like be the cause of tidal waves, right? Like, he's not just earthquakes. Give him tidal waves. What I like, give him like volcanic explosions where he just got too close to the surface once and keeps going. Sinkholes, man. Sinkholes. Yeah. I like the idea of using this guy as maybe the creator of the Underdark. The big, dark, underground dweller. No. The guy that you know is a mile long, so he's able to make these giant pockets that are and, and we, huge enough for We've talked about there's that one god that keeps on trying to break the surface. And he can't get up there for it, whatever magical whatever bullshit reason. reason. This is the magical bullshit reason. Yeah, yeah. To have him, have this god go up against a great old one and get knocked back. This is a great reason why the Underdark is always shifting and moving. Beyond purple worms are, are wormy, right? Yeah. Like, you can really hard bake this in. This feels like an Underdark monster. Yeah, I would have this thing spawning purple worms as well. Maybe and, and instead like, of tentacles, you have purple worms hanging out of his mouth. Oh my god. Like, just the amount of scale to just have, like, the purple worms are the tentacles. I don't have an answer to that, guys. I'm so, <laughs> We've talked about Japan and tentacles in the same podcast now. We're I'm just trying to keep it on. Man, I, wanna, I really want to go fishing now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All right. Uh, so let's grab our day. Was there, was there anything else for the great Chthonian? Uh, honestly, man, like... I, I would pull, you mentioned Tremors, we mentioned Dune, we mentioned all, like, Beetlejuice, we mentioned all these 
ideas of these great sandworms, these great worm creatures. Pull on that. Worms are creepy as hell. Pull on your worm. Pull on pull on the worms. Moving on. Moving on. Okay. Let's, let's roll for the next round. Go roll for the next round. Got a 19. Four. Uh, well, I got a three, so... All right. Uh, my next one will be... Uh, I went... With the spider god, let's go with the serpent god next. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Yig. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about me. No, no, wrong kind of serpent. Um, <laughs> Yig is the uh, father of serpents, the god of snake kind. He is a uh, ma- He's actually relatively small in terms of the other uh, uh, Lovecraftian gods. He's more human-sized, even. Um, he screams you on tea to me. We'll reading his description. Well, it's funny because when we started talking about this stuff in the last week, I've discovered that the Yuan-T are known as the children of Yig in some actual, uh, some third-party material. So. Yeah, I can see it. So Yig is, uh, he looks like an anthropomorphic human-sized snake deity. Um, he was first created by Zalia Bishop and then almost completely rewritten by Lovecraft in 1929's The Curse of Yig. Which is a story purely about um, a... It's a Cabin in the Woods story where this couple goes to the woods. The wife kills a nest of snakes and the husband loses his mind about Yig coming to exact justice for the slain serpents at this cabin. It's This has got really biblical undertones as far as I'm concerned with, with the man and the woman out in the woods and then the snake, the evil serpent, right? Yeah, like, oh yeah. Um, Yig is not necessarily uh, straight evil um, either. He's more of one of those more ambiguous, definitely leaning towards evil because most Lovecraft does. Um, but he cares about uh, his serpents and he is incredibly protective about snake kind. So if I'm bringing this guy in, you've got a lot of Yuan-Ti, you've got a lot of Naga, you've got a lot of even to a certain extent uh, uh, Lamias. Um, uh, no, 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 not in 5th Ed. Not 5th Ed Lamias. Nah, pull from previous editions like, and bring like them in there, right? Like AD&D Lamias. Yeah, they, why not? 5th Ed is lions. Now, now they're, they and used like to be snakes. And like 3.5 were uh, snakes and 4th were uh, bugs, right? Like the uh, Lamias... Come on, wizards, pull your shit together. Lamias could be anything. So I would, I would, I would definitely make a highly serpent-based uh, society that worships this guy and then your character's an offshoot of it. If you're playing a great old one uh, warlock whose patron is Yig, play a Yuan-T pureblood. Why the hell not? Play a shifter with snake-like traits. Why the hell not? Right? I would definitely be going down in that route. And you are... Your entire mission with this guy is always going to be protecting snake kind. Um, this kind of character would be amazing to run in the Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You want to hear everywhere in there. Okay. All right. I got to ask. We, we've kind of hinted at it a couple of times and we'll continue to hint at it in the future. But so, you know, when it comes to dragons and, if, and you know, you have your dragon ancestry and you're dragonborn. And everyone's like, oh, can I grow a tail? When do I get my wings? I know I'm not a dragonborn, but can I get fire breath at level, at 15th level or whatever it is? Right. And everybody's looking for how to become more draconic. When it comes to your great old ones, warlocks, 
are you going to give them spider-like features? Their eyes start to separate and segment. If, oh, if, 100%. Or, or their their lower jaw can can distend and, and they can put their head back and swallow small creatures mm-hmm. and shit. Like, are you slowly morphing them into an abomination of some sort? 110%. The, the, the aberrant taint of... Uh, <laughs> Yay! Aberrant taint. The aberrant taint of these great old ones will twist the physical reality of your creature. Right? I believe that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you get a. Uh, I'm just moving on through that. Uh, <laughs> I bet you're moving through that taint. Um, power and rate Your character, even if you're human, like you will start getting a sheen to your skin as you start to grow scales, or your eyes will become. Uh, slitted snake eyes with the by uh, the by lenses, right? The by lids. Um, you yeah, start you... getting venom sacks. You get the ability to spit venom. Maybe you get uh, at later levels. You straight up can turn into a gi- giant snake and slither around. I don't see why not. I mean, there's balance issues here, I, I, but it's the boon of Yig. Do it. Yeah, like I really want you to get specific patron level powers as you go. Mm -hmm. If you're going to put all this time and effort into working with your patron, you should be able to spider up or worm up or whatever it is. You should get a burrow speed at 12th level, right? You need to sit down with your DM and say, this is the crazy bullshit that I want to do. Tell me what, what am I in for here? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm I'm on board for this. And and if it feels overpowered, you know what? These, this doesn't feel overpowered. This feels like a feat. So maybe replace an ASI with it. Yeah. You uh, know what? And and I don't think this necessarily has to be just with Great Old Ones. I mean, it's what we're talking about today. But all across the board with your Warlocks, if you're Archfey, if you are Celestial, if you are... The Undying or the Archdevil. Right? Or you, you should or be able to You should just be able to turn into some sort of six-sided sword. Sure. Why not? As a Hexblade. Put it in there. No. Because Hex is six. Blade is sword. I miss Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Adam, I believe you're next. No, I was oh, last. It's, oh, it's yeah, Davey. He rolled a three. I got a four. I keep on forgetting you're here. I keep forgetting I'm here. <laughs> I keep hoping you leave. Anyways, continue. Uh, the next one I got was Sothagua, uh, which is... Gazoontite. It, it, yeah, it's a mouthful. Uh, you got to make sure you get that at the beginning. Yeah, because it starts with a T. Yeah. It's T-S, right? Yeah, Sothagua. I've been practicing that all day. <laughs> very, very well done. Very, very well done. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I imagine what the guy driving next to you as you're sitting at the red light going, Sathagua, Sathagua, Sathagua. The window down, just yelling, Sathagua. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyways, <clears throat> moving on. Yep. Uh, I'm just going to let uh, one of the characters from Clark Anthony Smith's book, The Tale of Satampra Zeros, explain his appearance. He was very squat and pot-bellied. His head was more like a monstrous toad than a deity, and his whole body is covered with an imitation of short fur, giving somehow a vague sensation of both the bat and the sloth. His sleepy lids were half-lowered over his globular eyes, the tip of a queer tongue issued from his fat mouth. So this to me is big toad creature. Okay, what is the imitation of short fur? What is imitation short fur? Astroturf. Astroturf? I would have said it's that shit that's on Terry's face and he calls it beard. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah? It's about the same. Really. About the same, yeah. 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 Some other names for Sothagua are the Sleeper of Nakai, Zothothaqua, 
And he's an old one. He's really lazy. All right. He is very slothful. He doesn't move. In fact, this is the kind of guy that even when he's like ravenously hungry, he waits for others to come and sacrifice things to him to eat. He, he's the kind of person that eats the sacrifice and the sacrificer. Probably. Yeah. If you show up without something to feed him, you're going to get eaten. If you show up with something for him to eat, you you're will gonna, still probably you're, you're get still eaten. You're still going to get eaten, yeah. He is subterranean, uh, and he left Saturn when his continent iced over. He was... Uh, specifically bl- Saturn? Specifically Saturn. Specifically Saturn. There's a mountain on Saturn. I forget what it's called. Vumaranetha death. Yeah, and that's where he lived. And then when... And he was there with that Naka. Both of them come from this Saturn. Okay, all right, I gotta ask though, because it's a gas giant and there are no mountains. Is this something like from the rings? It's one of the freaking ancient. No, it's a continent on Saturn itself. It is just from before it was a gas giant. No, no, that's not how physics works. Fuck, ow, my brain. (laughs) Shit, balls, fuck, no. 1920s astrology, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I would, I would change that to be one of the one of the moons, but uh, it doesn't really freaking matter. Well, while he was there, he actually had some followers that were called Vormi. They're cave dwelling humanoids with three toes. They're umber umber colored. Uh, they're covered in fur, and they communicate with dog like howls. Oh, all right, I gotta ask: the three toed, the lazy. You guys say toad monster. I'm thinking sloth monster. Like somewhere between the two, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I figured. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I would think like a diseased sloth is what I would do with this. Like something like, with like, like that. Patches of hair coming patches off. Patches of hair coming off. It has that amphibious nature underneath the fur that it almost looks like it's just like attached through slime. Like uh, when your dog. Like he doesn't have fur. He's just like really sticky. Did you, yeah. Did you guys watch Buffy? Yeah, of course. Do you guys know Balthazar from Buffy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah, what I'm right, picturing, cool. yeah, only I'm, a little more. I, I, I kind of view it like a dog who is running along like a uh, salmon spawning bank and just rolls through the salmon to get that scent. It's just doing that with fur. No, you see, I got it the other way around, though. I'm thinking it is a toad where you like smear it with dog hair. Yep. Right? And so it's just kind of this weirdly hairy. I've got a friend who has a Malamute. Um, so it's like sitting on that dude's couch. You just yeah. get up and you're half dog. <laughs> yeah. Some sort yeah. of half man, half bat sloth. <laughs> so, so half sloth, half Batman? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Uh, but the other thing I liked about him was that he does have these multiple followers. <laughs> these... <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. It's, Where are the drugs? You gotta tell me because I'm not gonna figure it out for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Where is he? Now can you go get him too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, what do we got, Dave? Uh, he has a... We just went over the Vormi. He does have another form of servitors. Uh, uh, so his other servitor is what are known as formless spawn, which are a polymorphic black ichory goo that are extremely resilient. They can take any shape, uh, and they attack by trampling, biting, and crushing. They are also, in the game, Call of Cthulhu, powerfully acidic. But from what I was looking at, that's not really the case. They're black puddings, right? Yeah, this feels black pudding to me. Yeah. But what's interesting is is the trample, the biting, the crushing. That's not black pudding, right? It's weird that that they are um, they can take any shape and they're flexible. But I guess they harden and squish. Well, I black puddings and oozes have slime attacks. 
they have sure they have slam attacks because they hit you with a pseudopod, but like it's well, that's what basically what this is. Just the, do it with the full body of it, up the damage dice a, uh, a bit, throw in a little bit of acid, and you're good. You know what I would do with these guys? I would I would go the X Files way with, with their black goo and have them take over people as well. Yep, and cool. ha- have there be like an infection through the world with the black goo, and people just get what like lazier. What what do these guys? How do they serve? Um, Sothagwa. Uh, essentially, they are just protectors of his temples, uh, keeping them from being defiled. But I also kind of like the idea of getting these things out into the world. So what I would do with these guys is these would be like, let's target the active. Let's target the the fit. and, and We're going to take out all tabaxis. Right, all tabaxis. And what it does is, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. It turns them slothful, but also ravenously hungry. And they just start eating Everything. Okay, you put gluttony with with. Oh yeah, on yeah, one hundred percent. Do you have anything else? Not really. All right, good because I've got to think about gluttony here. All right, so when I think of gluttony, I think of hordes. I think of like Dan. You're talking about these massive like uh, groups that are moving around, just eating everything that they can find. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the black goat of the woods with a thousand young. That is the title. One of the two titles, also the Lord of the Woods. This is Shub Nidjarath. Now, for those of you who are screaming at the radio, I am pronouncing it Shub Nidjarath because I'm not a horrible person. Lovecraft was horribly racist. racist. Yeah. Ridiculously over-the-top racist. Dan said xenophobic a few times, but that's putting it nicely. This guy was a brutally racist individual. And uh, if you are going to investigate the Lovecraftian mythos, you got to be ready to stomach some of that shit. He was a product of the times, but a fearful product of the twisted times, right? So uh, we're not condoning any of that shit here by doing this. We're looking at his really cool, fun uh, monsters, and we're ignoring his uh, horrible hate crimes. So yep. let's uh, let's move past this. Uh, Shub Nidrath first appeared in the 1928 story, The Last Test. Um, and there's not a whole lot else that Lovecraft himself did. Shubnitrath has been kind of taken over by other authors and whatnot. Um, and a lot of it's very contradictory. They don't even agree on whether or not uh, Shubnitrath is an outer god or a great old one, or if it's male or female. In a later story, um, there's an underground temple of Sathagwa uh, that had been turned into a shrine of Shubnitrath, who's known as the All-Mother and Wife of the Not-to-be-named one which they hint is either Haster, Yogg-Sothoth, or Yig, which is very strange. Yig? Really? Yep. Jeez. In the expanded mythos, a priest of uh, Shub-Nidrath named Chyog says the gods friendly to man could be arrayed against the hostile gods, and that Shub-Nidrath, Nug, and Yeb, as well as Yig the serpent god, were ready to take sides with man. So Yig... And Shub Nidrath, um, we don't really talk about Nug or Yev this episode, but those two specifically are not really evil with a capital E. They're just otherworldly and bizarre. Um, they're not nihilistic. They're not all-consuming. They're not about death, uh, but they're about horrific, disgusting creation. I ran across this, and I buckle in because I, I absolutely love this. Uh, a Redditor started to talk about the idea of what cosmic horror is and the difference between horror and disgust and what uh, what um, Shubnidrath really has to offer here. And it's not your just death and destruction and insanity that we're used to seeing. So I'm going to quote uh, 
Kexizok, and uh, and this is a great quote. An interesting idea that came up in a philosophy class was the distinction between disgust and horror. I can't quite remember the names of the philosophers involved in that discussion, but it broke down to this. Humans feel horror at the idea of death and the trillion forms it takes, but disgust at what we feel in response to life outside the typical boundaries we expect to see it. If we read about a person dying, we feel horrified. If we see guts and blood exposed, displaced, or otherwise outside of our acceptable context, we feel disgusted. Disgust gets associated with things like cancer, tumors, insect hives, maggots, mutation, growths, etc. Incidentally, the class was philosophy in Lord of the Rings. Tolkien's orcs are a perfect example of the disgusting. They breed in dark places like maggots, they are malformed creatures that were once elves, and they are mindless, impulsive, and driven. The scary thing about them isn't that they want to kill you, it's that there's so many of them. Zombies fall into this category as well, not to mention common animals like insects, fish, and reptiles. This is always the guideline I use to conceptualize Shubna Jarath. Azathoth, who we'll talk about shortly, leans more toward horror. Shubna Jarath leans toward disgust. Azathoth is decay. Shubna Jarath is the nightmare that grows and feeds on the wound. Usually a monstrously massive ball with writhing tentacles and every direction where either a giant black goat's head protrudes or many gaping moths can be metal. seen. Yeah, right? She's usually surrounded by hundreds of twisted, crossbreed monstrosities mashing together different species that she's mated with. It's kind of an island of Dr. Moreau kind of feel. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. But instead of like goat man and, and uh, sloth man and uh, cat man, it it's is... Goths. <laughs> it's goats. Goth. Goths, yeah. <laughs> uh, Terry's very happy. You goths me there. <laughs> it's it's goat cats. Yeah, and it is. Uh, but you got it's it's tree maggots. It's every form of life that's been mashed together, and she's got a thousand young that follow her around that are constantly feeding, and she's got these these many mouths as well. Um, it makes me think of the way that the abyss spawns demons. Um, and I know she's not a demon lord. But I would have her as a god behind the scenes, but, uh, worked into the nature of the abyss, spewing forth infinite demons and looking to mindlessly procreate in a perversion of nature. This is the kind of, of great old one that would be worshipped by incubi and succubi. I feel like dark wizards have worshipped her um, when they've created griffins, hippogriffs, chimeras, manticores, other... like and. The monstrosities that are just two animals mashed together, or three animals, right? Um, Druid circles have probably worshipped her, especially the circle of spores. I would say that she has links to Tiamat and Tiamat's spawning pits and uh, Grumsh, because Grumsh was all about the prolific nature of orcs being able to mate with anything. I can see the two of them having an arrangement, Shubna Jarath and, and Grumsh. Um, I feel like hags, because they've got weird procreation rules as well may have some sort of dealing they may pray to her but not necessarily have her as a direct patron um and i feel like she should inspire conjuration and summoning magics as well as specifically transmutation i'd give a familiar that's a homunculus with like a twisted bizarre body and horrific features and um i would also say though that if you're going to bring this in with all the breeding and mating and spawning and stuff uh, you need to bring it up in your session zero yeah, yeah make sure your table's cool with this before you start to just be a bard about it. <laughs> so um, that's that's what I have for, for Shumna Jarath. I, I feel like she's supposed to be a mountain that is floating. Just millions of tentacles, all different sizes, and uh, she's hovering above the ground. And beneath her, in her shadow, are these quote-unquote thousand young, 
which is absolutely disgusting. I, I would almost have like reality twisting underneath her. So like she's floating over things and things that just are near in proximity are warping into this creation. I would look into the Cibriex, right? Oh for, yeah, for sure. Yeah, as a way to uh, to inspire kind of what what she does as well because. I don't know if you're familiar with the Cybriax, Dave, but the Cybriax is a kind of is a demon. I think it's a demon. Uh, yes, that um just warps the the mortals are, are around it to be mal malformed, misshapen, horrible, like mutant growth creatures. They're basically gibbering mouthers, but not. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I I really like Shubnadrath, uh, because this is weird, and she's not. Bad. She likes life. She likes creation. But she is going to give you a level of creation that you're not okay with. Yeah. And you're going to see things like um, tentacles spewing out of every orifice on somebody's head while it, they're breathing through their belly button because it's grown teeth and lungs behind it. Yeah. Right? Like, it's freaking weird stuff like that, and I'm excited about it. Okay. Shall we roll another round? Let's roll another round. We got a couple more each to get through here, gents. <coughs> you're a cock. I'm, I got a 17. I got a 15. I had a 15, but now I have a 7. Roll better. Yeah, come on, Dan. Don't hit my dice. Well, wait till everybody else is done. <laughs> wait your turn. <laughs> um, so y'all get to hear my voice again. I'm going to go back to back. I want to talk about uh, Yogg-Sothoth. Yogg-Sothoth uh, first appeared in 1941 in the case of Charles Dexter Ward. And I'm going to quote from uh, the Dunwich Horror. Yogg-Sothoth knows the gate. Yogg-Sothoth is the gate. Yogg-Sothoth is the key and guardian of the gate. Past, present, future, all are one in Yogg-Sothoth. He knows where the old ones broke through of old and where they shall break through again. He knows where they have trod Earth's fields and where they still tread them, and why no one can behold them as they tread. He is known as the lurker at the threshold, opener of the way, the gate, the key, and the guardian. Beyond one, all in one, one in all. He is said to be an ever-shifting conglomeration of glowing, chaotic orbs, and he is non-linear. This thing doesn't even look like a creature. It is just glowing lights. He can see through time. He knows past, present, and future because he is both one with time and space as well as being trapped outside of the universe. Whatever you want to make of that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. His favor is usually gained via human sacrifice or eternal servitude. So, I mean, he seems pretty neutral until you get to that nonsense. It's suggested that he's an outer god, and his name may be a perversion of an Arabic phrase that means the abnormal ones are coming, which is super ominous, but doesn't mean a whole lot. <coughs> he's not necessarily evil, right? He's greatly unknowable, which creates a problem in D&D. In a later work, he actually meets the protagonist of the book and offers a glimpse of the multiverse, warning that such an influx of knowledge would destroy anyone's sense of self. <laughs> which means that he's about forbidden knowledge. Uh, if you're going to use him in a game, you got to add insanity checks. This is something that divination wizards and knowledge domain clerics would be tempted to look into as well if you're going to multi-class. Aboliths, I feel, with their like long memories and their knowledge almost existing at a time, yeah. would be somehow linked in with Yogg-Sothoth. Uh, and hags. Again with the hags, especially the divination and the other worldly, weirdly magic. Um, warlocks, I feel, should be able to gain access to spells revolving around divination or planar travel or even banishment. That kind of fits with all this. But any player should be warned that going down this path will lead to insanity before it will lead to answers. 
and I would be really upfront with your player about, hey, every once in a while I'm going to tempt you with this. And you may go insane and lose your character. So you may have to make some character choices here that are tough. Yeah. Uh, I really like the idea of creating a town that has lost its mind to the insanity of this. Um, and Because there's a conduit to Yogg-Sothoth somewhere in it. And it can look like a giant obelisk. It can be the monolith from uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Or it could be a tiny little carving. Right? But it, it's a conduit. And gibbering mouthers spew forth. And they're the final forms of those who have seen beyond what a mortal can comprehend. I like the idea of, of like the vast knowledge twisting the mind until time and space distort. And even the body of the witness becomes malformed and malshaped. That is fun for me. And I think that that is a great warning for your for your players. So maybe the more that they see into it, the more they lose their ability to do basic things like speak. Or understand things in a linear fashion. And and you could have them suffering levels of exhaustion just because they don't know why they need to sleep. Right? And eventually, if they ever lose control of their character, and they're like, alright, you know what, roll up a new character. Then they can watch their old character slowly melt and, and get misshapen and malformed into a gibbering mouther. That would then attack them. And I think that is a different kind of cosmic horror that we haven't seen. And again, he's not evil. Right? He's just all-knowing in everything. And I would... I don't know. Like, it, this is almost a bigger concept. You know how the Abyss has an infinite number of levels that are infinitely wide, but you can go to, like, level 87? And so it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you think about it? Yeah, for sure. This is the same kind of physics-bending logic, right? So, do you guys have any thoughts about Yogg-Sothoth? Uh... No man, like he's he's you cross that line into the out there. I would not allow a Yogg-Sothoth great old one. Like that just that seems out there for me. If you want to have the knowledge guy, I'd go at Laknaka or something that's a little bit more material, a little bit more knowable because he's so far and so beyond. Like I, I this guy sits because of his age and his power level like he sits above most deities. And you look at what other warlock patrons their level is they're rarely gods. They're often like they're, they're generals like, and lieutenants, right? Yeah, well, they're lesser gods. They're going to go toe-to-toe with Tiamat. They're going to go toe-to-toe with, um, like, I guess Bahamut. But, like, I'm, I'm trying to think what the lesser gods are in the uh, in the D&D pantheon. Well, it's like demon princes and stuff like that. Yeah, like Demogorgon and Orcus and yeah. whatnot. They're like, that's kind of where so, we're going. So this Yogg-Sothoth being of ultimate unknowable power that, you know, is gate and key like no nah, man that's 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 up there you might be i i, I you might be fighting a cult of him or you might be having to explore an ancient crypt or an ancient library devoted to him to gain information and that is going to be a messed up aberrant experience in your game i would not have your character's focus be that guy Right? There's yeah, so that, many other that, ways that, to scratch that itch. Yeah, that's a good point. This would be like, hey, I want to go talk to Yig. I'm going to go to the Far Realms. and But first, you have to pass through the realm of Yogg-Sothoth, and you will learn infinite knowledge. And this is maybe when you drop prophecies on your players. Mm-hmm. But Yogg-Sothoth should not have a stat block. No. Should not even have a voice. Should just be will and power and time itself. Right? And, like, how do you, how do you use that as a patron? Right? And, or, or, like, even if you have to go and, like, get information that only Yogg-Sothoth knows. 
No, you're going to a library of Yogg-Sothoth's followers and fighting them for that sacred piece of information. That is this twisted thing that is a cursed item that you bring with you, right? Like, it, it everything it touches is um, malformed and, and misshapen like Yogg-Sothoth is and twists reality at its will. Right. I, I feel like the high priests of Yogg-Sothoth who have communed with him have had their eyeballs burned out of their head from looking into the great unknowable lights. For those of you that have seen it and they've got the deadlights, dead lights, yeah. that's what this shit is to me. So anyway. Yeah, no, I'm on board with that. Uh, Davey, you are next. Uh, the next one is my favorite. I really like this one. Uh, his name, her name, I'm not sure. Uh, is Athaqua, and they first came around in 1941. Now, Athaqua is essentially just a Wendigo. Uh, in fact, that's one of the other names that uh, it goes by, along with the Windwalker and the God of Cold. Uh, he so they're it, really stretching for that last one. The God of I don't know. We run out of words. Cold God of the Cold. Sorry, the cold. my bad. I'm sorry. God my mistake. Of the cold. Uh, also, the White Silence. The White Silence. Yes. Uh, with, that was that was you for half of Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, he's a horrifying... Also you for half of Call of Cthulhu. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave. Promises, promises. No, I won't. I need this job. Uh, he's a horrifying giant with a roughly human shape and glowing red eyes. He's got two long legs, uh, but each leg has like the two knee joints, one going forwards, one going backwards. No, hold on. Two separate knee joints, like one above the other, yes. or two like matched together so it can go into the No, no, no. no like one, one on the bottom, one like on the top. Like bi-hinged legs. Yeah. It's like goat legs. Are goat legs like that? Yeah. Weird. Are they? Or satyr legs or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Satyr legs are. Yeah. Which are goat legs. Yes. Uh, Yes. uh, I'll take your word for it. Sure. Uh, He also has long arms, which are unproportionally large, ending in big, long claws. Uh, And then, of course, sunken features with wispy white hair. I mean... The White Walkers, but like super tall, lanky White Walkers. Uh, yeah, good big claws as well. I would say, I'd say like it's a mixture of a White Walker, a Yeti, and the Mothman. I don't know. Like it, it's it sounds like this is a twisting of all of it. I, I love the they're Wendigos. That's what they are. Essentially, That's what he is. Yeah, essentially, uh, his father is Haster, his mother is Shubnijarath. That's the one. Uh, he scours the Arctic and the subarctic. He is encountered by Nader. Uh, by Nader, like Ralph Nader? I can't speak today. <laughs> he scours the Arctic and the subarctic. Uh, mainly, he encounters native tribes. I really thought that this was going to be the big god at the end of your campaign. That's yeah. For the deep dark of it sounds like. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I did pull, because Ithaca was like far lesser known, and Nyarthotep had a lot of like community... Sure. Things I, I I wanted to go more near Athletep into it, and by the time this releases, that's old news. Well, yeah. I mean, this guy he prowls the Arctic, hunting down unweary travelers and slaying them in a group gruesome fashion. Like that, that's what we were doing. I actually modeled my uh, the Great White Hunter was modeled off of Ithaqua. I believe that. Yeah, yeah. So he was just spawning things that were coming after you. And if you guys had actually fought the Great White Hunter at any point in time, it would have gotten weird real quick. So I, It was weird enough. That's true. It was weird enough. Not for me. Could have got weirder. Uh, this guy, 
he, he's not really super well known. It's really, like I said, just kind of like the native tribes that are in the Arctic that know about him. Uh, they offer him sacrifices, but not really out of worship. It's more for appeasement. It's here, take this, go away, don't come back. We, we don't want to <laughs> see you. Go over there. Like Leave us alone. Have yeah. three seals and fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you do actually end up worshipping him, though, one of the things he will grant you is the immunity to cold, which I thought was a pretty cool thing. I, I picture um, frost giants worshipping him, right? Especially because of the height and whatnot as well, like the fact that they're tall and can be lanky and immune to cold. And... I, I think there's a, a tribe of, like, frost goblins or, or snow goblins. Those are called froblins? No, they're not. Okay. Um, there's a tribe of, like, uh, snow goblins that worship Exactly, they are. I'm, we're sorry, Dave. You're not used I to this shit. I don't think you are. No? I don't think you are sorry. Dan might be. I usually am. You yeah. should be sorry. You, you brought up the, the evil taint earlier. Ah, uh, the evil taint. Anyways, Dave? Uh, Ithaqua has some servants as well. They are called the Shantak. Uh, they are flying bird dragon kind of creatures. Uh, they're larger than an elephant. They have heads resembling horses. They lay eggs, which are of huge, colossal size. And actually, my favorite piece of information I came across during this whole Cthulhu thing is their eggs are rich in flavor. <laughs> That's so fucking Who the weird. hell is eating these things? Frost giants. Frost giants and, and white dragons. I would, sure. I would think oh, even yeah. like uh, abandoned explorers that are lost out in the wilderness or in the tundra come across <laughs> this pile of Shentak eggs and... I like the idea of, of you coming across the ancient white dragon. The ancient white dragon is like, look, I'm going to beat you up. Or go get me a couple of these eggs because I'm having people over for breakfast tomorrow. So if you could do that, then no. Well, no, I love it. I just, yeah, just go over there and get the eggs because I'm having people over for dinner. It's you. You're just bringing the side dish. <laughs> you the bacon bitches. <laughs> All right, Dan. What do you got? Okay. Um, so my 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 uh, next one is actually if that was Daddy, uh, I got I got Haster. Nice. Um, Haster was is probably one of my favorites, if not. Well, he has to be. He has to be, right? Oh, that's too close to something else. Let's not go down that route. Haster baiting. Yeah, <laughs> guys. So if you really want Haster to go somewhere, you have to bait him. So you say so no. And you have to go talk to like some, some like weird obscure tribe somewhere to go see their master Haster baiter. No? You just going to let me die on this one? Oh, yeah. I'm editing this episode. We're going to leave this pause in. Yeah, okay, cool. Anyway, so uh, Haster was first uh, first appeared in... 1893 in Hada the Shepherd by Ambrose Bierce, uh, who inspired Lovecraft to write about The King in Yellow, which was another series of short uh, short stories by Robert Chambers, written in 1895. Um, There's not a lot detailed about Haster. Well, what's interesting is that Haster, I believe, is one of the Egyptian gods, too. Or There's a name, there's a god that's named Haster, right? There, there, There very much is, but... In terms of Lovecraft, he is this amorphous but vast and vaguely octopoid being. Pick one. You're going to be both. <laughs> the, the great old one in Lovecraft do get to be both. Yeah, okay. and, and and this is what he is. But his big thing is he is the king in yellow. And this is basically Big Papa cult leader 
is what he is. He he leads a group called the Yellow Sign, who are basically this group of cultists that just go around and sow discord and madness. Haster's big thing is madness. He wants to rule the world and break the world's will through his acolytes throughout the world. So he's he's um, very... Is he about anarchy manipul- or is he upset about something? Do we know? Or is that just his deal? We don't, get, deal. We, we don't get to know because he's a great get, old one. We don't get to know because he's a great old one. Um, right. he, and like a lot of things... He dwells in the city called Carcosa, which is a big thing. It's a, it's a city... It, uh, it's almost on par with Relay as... Uh, Relia as uh, important Lovecraftian cities go. I've heard the name Carcosa in many different pieces of fiction. Many. And he is kind of the king of Carcosa. He That is his dwelling place. Um, but he is also right up there. Like, he's the son of Yogg-Sothoth, right? Like, he is a massively powerful but still unknowable uh, creature. And he just wants to sow this discord. So, I, if I was to have this guy as a warlock patron... This is kind of your trickster god is where I would go with this in the direction with with this guy. He is the one that is you are trying to supplant governments. You are trying to break things down. You are releasing uh, like insanity into cities to undermine its culture and economy. So you say trickster god and I know everybody who just thought of Loki. But then you kept talking and you didn't describe Loki. You described Bane. Right, which is where I'm coming at. It's not. I don't see. I don't get the trickster feel. It's not. Ah, I got you, bitches. This is this is undermining society and and sowing anarchy through the world. Yes, right? it is the anarchy side of of the trickster, trickster yeah, okay. aspect. Right. It's, like, it's it's pure chaos. It's chaos. Pure chaos. So that's what I would do with this guy. Um, he also has a literal army of cultists with him. All of them wearing yellow. I love Faces that man. Covered, right? Uh, yeah, like I'm a, a lot of this is black like and black red. and yeah. red and like dark blue or or like a dark sick gray, gray, brown, whatever. Right? Like no, this is bright, vibrant yellow. You see these guys coming from a mile away, and there ain't a damn thing you could do to stop and, them. And when your party sees them walking through, I don't know, water deep or whatever, they're like, oh hey, look, clerics. And that, and they're never going to think about them again. Oh, the clerics right? of Lafander. No, 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 no. Yeah. So um, I would definitely. Uh, do that with this guy. This is not a good warlock patron at all. Right? This is for your evil campaign. This is for your evil campaign. Is, is your well, I mean, uh, the problem as well that we're we're not really touching on is that a lot of warlocks don't get to choose their patron. Their patron chooses them. So, True too, right? This, so that adds that adds a lot of drama to the thing where um, you are battling the will or trying to just appease your patron just for the power for whatever reason you need it right this speaks to the edge lord in the party right? yeah yeah it really does so that that's haster and i, I freaking love haster anyways uh I, I would say sorry one last thing is if you go on and on and on about the great old ones and from the far realms beyond everything else and this octopoid creature everyone is going to think cthulhu and they can gear up against cthulhu just to find out that shit nope Haster. It's Haster. Yeah. Right. And like, I would play more into the amorphous side of this. Like, this guy is often described as like the, the, um, the, the shine of sh- uh, shadow over the sea and whatnot. He's just like the dark of the dark, deepest dark of the ocean. That is what this guy is. He's like a deep dark of radiance. Almost. Yes. Plugged. Anyways, so, uh, we got one more. To go here, uh, let's grab our dice as we all do our last gods. Dan had a nat 20 that Adam just buggered up. You got damn right. And I'm coming in last, but it was worth it. 
Nice. Well, I got first with a 17. Yep. Yeah, go, go ahead. While I just shoot fucking daggers at Adam. You've been doing that the whole time. Uh, yeah. Welcome to the past two years of my life. Two? Two. Come on. <laughs> two. Wow. Uh, tw- 27? Yeah, right, 27. <clears throat> uh, the last one I have is... A, pa- a pain in the... Azathoth. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he is the great big granddaddy of all of these guys. Uh, he is the father of Nearthlotep, the Nameless Mist, and Darkness. Darkness, my old friend? No. Darkness with a capital D. <laughs> <laughs> that was my nickname in college. No, it was not. Cap- it absolutely was not. Oh. No. Uh, the first record of Azathoth was from a note that Lovecraft wrote himself in 1919, and all it said was Azathoth, hideous name, which I love that. That's great. Just, hideous name. I also have that written at home, but it says Dan, hideous name, and face, and personality. I keep going. You guys please. Like it. <laughs> if, no, all right. I'm all right. Uh, some other names that he and goes by. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> He's also known Why as. What the fuck up with you? Damn it, Dan! <laughs> Dave is trying to do something. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Dave. Uh, Azathoth also. You're goes... a cock, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to be a pain on the Azathoth. I don't think you are. <laughs> Anywho, uh, Azathoth also goes by the Blind Idiot God, the Daemon Sultan. The Cold One, The Deep Dark, uh, and what I like, or my favorite one, is Nuclear Chaos, which oh. isn't like nukes going off. Keep in mind, this guy's from 1919. This is more uh, the nucleus of the cosmos. This is kind of on a different yeah, plane he's, than what we Yeah, he's the power supply kind of deal. Yeah, he, he's kind of like this. He's at the center of the cosmos. That's, that's kind of his thing. He, he, you're not going to find him... Uh, wandering around on Earth. He's not like that. He he looks... Well, it's really ambiguous. It's kind of up to whoever sees him. Well, this guy is planet-sized. Well, uh, he's described a few different ways. One character describes him as a pale gray shape, expanding and crinkling, which glistened and shook gelatinously as still-moving particles dropped free. I also have that written down under Dan's name. Rude. <laughs> That's just rude. Accurate. Takes one to know. You're one dripping one. right now. <laughs> it's warm in here. It's the taint. <laughs> uh, another character sees him as a bivalvular shell, which is like a mollusk, you know, yeah, yeah, oyster, yeah. clam, that kind of thing, uh, that's supported on many pairs of flexible legs from the half open shell. Is a clam with legs? Uh, that come out of the shell. It's like the clam mouth opens, but then the legs come out. And it like goes goes upright, like it's ass in the air going along. Is that I'm thinking like a hermit crab, maybe? Sort of. I think like some sort of weird Pink Floyd music video creature. This is this is almost a tool music video but, or tool. But you yeah. Keep in mind that the appendages are tipped with a polypuous appendage. Like it's there's more to it than just a leg. So cancer legs sticking out of a uh, muscle. I like it, but also an amorphous, nothing globular. What was that crazy bullshit? Gray, crinkling, phasing, expanding, you know, yeah, moving particles, dropping free. Uh, but he's also a, a horrible, bestial, mouthless face with deep sunk eyes and covered in glistening black hair. Like he—he's what 
you imagine him to be. So okay, he I, appears differently to everybody. I, I've got I've got a little bit of insight on this. Did, did you guys ever read the book Flatland? No, no. Okay, Flatland is a pretty famous science fiction novel where um, people from the our third dimension run into people from the second dimension. There are entire life forms that exist in only two dimensions, and when we go to interact with them, they have trouble understanding that we can go over and around. Um, because they exist on only the two dimensions. And when we show up, we start off as a dot, and we seem to only grow to them. You think about how a, a sphere would be, right, um, in like a kind of a plane of water, where when it first touches, it would be a dot, and then as it sinks further in, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And now if it's not a sphere and it's a strange shape, it would look like there are many different shapes that are all hitting at once. If you were to take like your hand stretched down with five fingers spread apart, that would look like five different beings that would then merge into one. And then it, you would keep going and it would turn into a wrist. And so they have trouble understanding the different sides of our dimension. And I feel like Azathoth is also all of the above, but we can only perceive one of these things at any given time. And this is what our perception, almost like, like the aliens in contact. This is how we perceive the only way that we can understand this portion of this great entity well cool. he only really comes to you in dreams so it's all is he hanging out with with gazunta yeah that one probably and yeah. and well like he's big papa daddy so like uh cthulhu is the dead god who sleeps uh Naka is managing dream like a lot of this has to do with the dreamland right well you talked about great lovecraft ones. having all like constant nightmares and we can see that in these works yeah Right there's a lot of darkness in his dreams, and it leads into his uh, written works. So I would ha like uh, everything here is talking to you through dreams, talking to you through nightmares. I think Azathoth himself is going to like give you straight up terrifying nightmares. Like you are waking up spitting blood, cause or vomiting. Right. I like the, the idea of Azathoth being the patron of maybe like a mind flayer warlock, someone that comes. That's a From terrifying, a, a terrifying notion. I know. My I tentacles just, just hardened. I'm very excited about this. All 13 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I love this guy. Uh, you got anything else on him? Not particularly. Okay. No, no, that's it. We're just going to fizzle out on Azathoth. Um, yeah, I couldn't Azathoth of more. <laughs> that that was a scratch. <laughs> Weak is why you're an intern. Yeah. So uh, my final uh, deity that I'm covering is probably my favorite of the bunch. Do, um, do you want? Do you want to? All right. I was going to say, do you want to hold your action on this one so we can end on your big bad from the show? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Even though you knocked my natural fucking twenty. Well, Adam, looks like a fourteen to me. I will shove this pen sideways up your nose, please. My last one is Dagon. Dagon is by far my favorite of all of the Cthulhu mythos, probably because I just uh, I ran across him first. Um, he's in the King of the Hill, right? He's Dagon best. <laughs> Dagon, then Dagon, then Dagon. He first appeared in 1919 in the short story called Dagon. I'm waiting for you guys to say your shit every single time I say Dagon. No, it's fine. Okay. He appeared later in his next uh, book, Boomhauer. Based on an actual god in ancient Syrian and Mesopotamian religions, he was eventually adopted into Assyrian and Babylonian empires, where he was then elevated to the status of the third god, alongside El and Baal. Who, dude's in the Bible. Yeah, dude. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to get there. Yep. Um, 
he's most famous as the pagan god of the Philistines who were around in Israel during the 12th century uh, BC. Dagon was their pagan god of fertility who eventually morphed into an important Semitic god. Dagon's symbols were grain and fish because they're icons of fertility and multiplying. And in the Hebrew Semitic dialect, the root of Dagon, the, the root of the word, which is dag, means fish. And Dagon is actually an endearing term that you would call someone, meaning little fish. Would you like eggs? Nope. No? Nope. Nope. Want to buy a cat? He was often depicted with the torso of a man and the tail of a fish, predating even the merfolk, like mermaids and mermen of Greek mythological legends. So he's the original, like, merman that exists, which is kind of fun as well. I would have him really be involved with uh, with merfolk, and I'm going to get to that in a sec. Uh, Dagon is mentioned in the Bible, like Dan said, uh, but he's got a connection to the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which held the Holy Tablets in which the Ten Commandments were written, according to uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Israelites... And also the Bible. The Israelites carried the Ark while they were walking through the desert for 40 years. And according to the biblical uh, text, the Philistine captured the Ark and took it to their capital city of Ashdod to place it in the Temple of Dagon. The next day, they found the idol of Dagon had fallen on its face. They thought it was a coincidence, so they replaced the statue. And when they returned the next day, they found a new statue decapitated. They kept doing this over and over again until eventually the city was hit with a plague of mice and everyone got hemorrhoids. So, hot. that's a pain in the ass. As far as Lovecraft is concerned, Dagon appeared for the first time in the short story called... Dagon. There we go. You guys are paying attention. Which is actually an awesome little uh, bit of weirdness for anyone that's about to get on a ship. So you guys should all check it out. It's uh, it's creepy and weird and is not... It makes me a little terrified to go out to sea. And the first time that I saw Life of Pi, I thought I was watching um, an adaptation of it. But then, no, I wasn't. And I was sad. He is considered a great old one. And he's worshipped by an amphibious race of humanoids called the Deep Ones. And you hear about them actually a lot throughout the mythos. You really do, yeah. Um, in the expanded Cthulhu mythos, he's also called Father Dagon. And he makes sexy time with Mother Hydra. He's also worshipped by an ancient cult in Innsmouth called the Esoteric Order of Dagon. I like that. I think that's fun. Um, as a sidebar, I'll talk about Deep Ones really quickly. All Deep Ones in Cthulhu lore continue to grow slowly after they reach maturity, provided that they are within reach of a steady diet. There are ancient Dagon carvings that display what appear to be several gigantic Deep Ones wrestling with whales, and it's entirely conceivable that the visage of Dagon has really just been confused with Elder Deep Ones, and no one really knows what Dagon looks like. I would, uh, in D&D, use uh, Kotoa or Sawagan. Yeah. Um, but did you guys know that Dagon's actually in D&D proper? He was in the Monster Manual 2 in the first edition and was written by uh, Gygax himself. He's considered a demon lord, prince of the depths, from the 89th layer of the Abyss, a.k.a. the Shadow Sea. He's got a massive black eel face with long, sharp teeth and dozens of tentacles. And he has a history of infecting people's dreams and subjugating marine life in an effort to become a god. This is interesting because he's not the only biblical uh, demon lord level thing that that Gygax wrote into the game. Because Moloch is also there. Yeah. Right? But he made Dagon a demon prince, basically. And Moloch's an archfiend. Like, he's an archdevil. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, that's fun, right? Yeah, I really, I, that, that's really interesting as the Bible nerd of the group. <laughs> um, so he attacks water-based realms every 720 years, uh, inflicting major damage and near genocide on a regular basis. He's opposed specifically by merfolk and other good aquatic beings. 
For Warlock Patron, I would say that you would give him access to things like Dream, Water Breathing, Water Walk, anything Water Wall, and like Wonder Wall, Champagne Supernova. No, no. No? All right, no. I've gone off. Okay. Um, maybe an Evil Oasis. Triton. <laughs> yes, that was the joke. God, fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, I would use an Evil Triton or a Sea Elf. Maybe even a Lizard Folk or UNT, something that you can picture being aquatic or amphibious, right? Um, I, we said Kotoa. I, I would have Sea Hags, uh, Chules, Marrow, and Naga involved uh, with, with Dagon. But I really like the idea of, because he's a demon lord, have uh, Hezrus and Wastroliths involved. I also kind of got the idea of a plot hook for the uh, concept of going all things aquatic where there are, there's like a peninsula maybe with three major religions, um, the cult of the dragon turtle, the cult of the kraken, and the cult of the leviathan. And then ultimately they're trying to summon Dagon to flood the world for whatever reason, right? And that could be a big bad and that could be an entire campaign based around this. And there are stats if you want to do the the conversion out there, right? Mm -hmm. So. I think it's. I think Dagon's a lot of fun. I was really happy to see that my favorite was already adapted into D anD. d And I'm sure that if I do a deep dive into first edition, we're, we can find more weird, um, oh yeah, common sure. like Lovecraft or biblical or whatever um, uh, versions of these these big bigger than life creatures. I mean, it, I even just said Bale. There's got to be Bale or Beelzebub or someone that's. Oh yeah, there's a few. That's those. in D and D. Oh, even Baphomet, which is another yeah. name for the devil, right? Yeah. So, um, last but certainly not least, we have mentioned multiple times how all of the above 11 deities that, and, and, and creatures of power that we've talked have been mainly unknowable. These guys are aberrant in nature. They are cosmic in reality and, and thus twist and it's hard to get their message out among the people. That is why Nearthlotep exists. Nearthotep is by far my favorite of all the Cthulhu mythos. Um, he is the messenger of the great old ones. He is the one who comes back and really sets the... He's the guy who rolls the red carpet out for whatever god is coming in to... He's like Metatron of the great old he's ones. He's the Metatron of the great old ones. Um, he, Which he, is not a Transformer. No. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Watch Supernatural, folks. The voice it, of the one true God. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so. Alan Rickman. Yes. Nyarlathotep is got that Egyptian flair to him, and that's with good reason, is because he comes from a vision that H.P. Lovecraft had, which inspired his first appearance, which is a self titled poem called Nyarlathotep that came out in 1920. Um, he is the creeping chaos. He is the master of shadow. He goes beyond all and through all. He is the Lord of Worms. Like this guy. Those are all my nicknames in college. This guy's awesome. Um, And his big thing is to get the word of the gods out. And often the word of the gods is y'all gonna die. Um, He uses often black slug-like creatures, worm-like creatures that often bear his visage, this human-like face that is vaguely Egyptian, um, to take over the will and the minds of uh, an entire populace of people in order so that they can all come together, bring him into the world, 
so that he can speak these words of damnation and doom upon the world, and then he will go and let just those words wreak havoc. Um, he is often a massive inspiration for H.P. Lovecraft for all of his other books. In fact, H.P. Lovecraft had a lot of pen pals and whatnot that would write to him since he was such a recluse. Um, and the legend is he got this one uh, note that from one of his pen pals that said, don't fail to see Nearthotep if he comes to Providence. He is horrible. Horrible beyond anything you can imagine, but wonderful. He haunts one for hours afterwards. I'm still shuddering at what he showed. Nearthotep will go through and show paint. you the reality of the cosmos, which will break your mind undoubtedly. He will also infest you with his slugs. Um, he what is, is, I'm sorry, what does he get from infesting you with the slugs? Total control over you. He is the slugs work their way into your body, and he now owns you. So he's about enslaving. He's all about enslaving in order to pers- uh, propagate his word, his message that he is on the realm to um, uh, deliver. He pops up all over the world many different times in different uh, cultures. Um, he he has heavy Egyptian roots uh, and is often um, described as a tall um, Egyptian-shaped man with long what features. What is an Egyptian-shaped man? Vaguely Egyptian-looking. So the, the bronze skin, but he's often wreathed in shadow. The exotic features, uh, pharaoh-like features. Um, the pharaoh is Egyptian? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. I thought you said Pharaoh, and I'm like, that's just not nice, Dan. No. So, um, how very Lovecraftian of you. Uh, he is also, of course, like most other Lovecraftian gods, massive. He stands 20, 30 feet tall, um, and is this humanoid shape that is wreathed in shadow. You can't really discern his true features, but when you do, they look vaguely Egyptian. Um, I used him as the. Um, big bad on the Deep Dark Radiance because of this trend he has to come forth from these different realms and enslave groups of people um, to his whim, especially enforcing the sense of isolation to get his word out. Now, everything that you're talking about is enslaving and getting the word out and subjugating peoples. Do his slaves have a hive mind? Like, is that something you could do? Does that is that oh, on one hundred? Is that on message with this guy? Yes, uh, these guys are. If you watch like Hot Fuzz, they're that for the greater good. Like everyone is just chanting and has become mindless and is driving this message out. Right? These are the mindless um, husks of creatures that like are drones almost. Drones, yeah, right. Like these are the ones where uh, if you were walking into town and you're a visitor and the first time you see them, there's just something slightly off. Like their eyes don't blink the way they should or something. And, and you just catch it out of the corner. It of your feels eye like they're or, wearing a, a human skin almost. Yeah, right? Like everyone's wearing Edgar suits. So it's. Um, they're walking down the street going, Nyarth Low Tap. Or, yeah. Low Tap. Yeah, right? And then, like, they'll, or they'll be standing staring up into nothingness with this look of rapture. And then you're like completely oblivious to whatever is going on around them. And then you will draw their attention and they'll be back to being normal, right? With no memory of what they just did, right? That That is the type of weird 
I feel like they look at you like your food sometimes. Well, like they just have that look like, like you will be you will be my next victim. We're yeah. we're gonna like that look that Terry gives you every once in a while. Anyways. <laughs> That's why I love Nyarthotep. Uh In a D&D campaign, this guy is um, using your warlock to get the message out, to collect people, to enslave other people, either willingly or not, either bringing them into the cult through persuasion or straight up infecting them with these worms in order to bring him back into this reality to sow his discord, to uh, send out his message. Right? That's what this guy is getting you to do. So he's probably sending you around to grab a bunch of MacGuffins to collect people, uh, to gather ingredients, to breed these worms and bring these worms out into the reality so that the crawling chaos can spread. Right? Um, that is what this guy is going to be doing. As a, as a um, player itself, I would definitely be trying to buy into this. And uh, I'm playing this guy like walking into the tavern and slipping like little worms in drinks and like spiking people or like um, clapping people on the back of the head as I walk by them and forcing one of these worms into the base of their skull. Something like that. This feels so evil campaign though. Like you're not... Oh, 100%. You're, you're not a good guy with being a, a patron of... of no, Nyarthotep is straight up evil. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't use him. I would use him as a bad guy for warlock cults. I wouldn't use him as a. I wouldn't let a player have him because there's no mechanic for worm infestation, and I feel like you can just go kind of hog wild with this. Well, you get certain things like Everett's black tentacles, which really fit this theme well. Right, but I just feel like every time that the party gets a, a beloved NPC, this guy's gonna come along and just derail. This is gonna be the least popular player at the table because he's consistently fucking over what everybody else is doing. Because he's like, no, 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 worms. Oh, your beloved mount? Worms. Worms. That is what's happening here. Well, I think it would fit in an evil campaign. In an evil campaign? Sure. But, I mean, I wouldn't let this just be your standard. Even, even oh, everyone's chaotic neutral, and we're going to play in the gray area. This is not a gray area guy. This guy yeah. is meant for one-shots or short evil campaigns. Yeah, this is the guy that is calling doom. Uh, like, and, and even to a certain extent, like, your soothsayers, your witch doctors will worship this guy. Um, outside of cults like he is he is prophetic in nature so a lot of divination will bring him into play as well okay cool so that is our gods um that we chose to cover there's there's a bunch of others outside of, that's the tip of the iceberg there's a it, bunch more there are tons so um the one last thing we did want to talk about real briefly um for mainly your pact of the tome warlocks adam yeah. Do you want to talk about the reason why Terry's not here? Because we could not hear him say Necrocomicon again. Okay, so the phrase Necronomicon, the word Necronomicon, um, comes from Lovecraft. Lovecraft created it. Um, and he actually started uh, talking about the original Greek translation of what the word means, which is the book of the image of the dead. Necro being dead. Um, and then... Com- I'm, I'm lost already. I'm Necronomicon. <laughs> Nomicon. No, so, I, I'm Necros sorry. meaning dead. Nomos meaning book. Icon meaning image of. Right. Except that icon does not mean image of. And I did a bunch of research into that because it sounds fucking wrong to me. And it's just a suffix that they use to say oh, that, that yes. this is an item. So that doesn't mean the image. It just means book of the dead. Or uh, more specifically, it means um, book of dead things. And so that doesn't really fit the Cthulhu mythos, though. As much as it is about 
death and subjugation. It's more about slavery and insanity and the unknowable. So I don't really like it as part of the as as part of the the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah, Dan's giving me this weird look. No, I completely disagree. This is the Avengers to uh, Marvel to the. I'm sorry, Avengers is Marvel. What do you? I know that this is the Avengers to all of the other solo Marvel movies. Like the Book of the Dead, the Necronomicon pops up in so much of Lovecraft's yeah, works, but it, but it's and just... binds everyone together. It is the book that Neartletep is giving people to translate his word out. The uh, but... pastor is sitting there, and he uh, exists with the book and writes in the book. Like th- this book of the dead pops up all over the place, and is. The thing that kind of binds all of these different gods together. Right, because they're all mentioned in it. And it's specifically meant, it's got in the scripture itself, the idea that, A, if you read it, you will go insane. So we have that normal Lovecraftian adage. But honestly, there's nothing about the dead in it. It's a misnomer, right? And and that's that's my problem with it, is people are going to go look, your necromancers are going to go looking for this, and it's not a necromancy thing. This is a warlock thing, right? And so the, your thing about... The Book of the Dead and the Lovecraftian version of the Book of the Dead, um, the Necrocomicon. That's for you, Terry. I hope you're listening. Um, is it's first of all was translated into Greek, and then all of the Greek versions were destroyed. It's been translated into Latin, and all of the Latin versions have been destroyed. And the thing about that Lovecraft keeps coming back to over and over again is that it's hidden. It's sitting inside different. Um, different bindings of other books and so i i think it's the case of dexter ward uh, where they op- he opens up a book and finds that it is an economicon and he wasn't looking for it it just happened to be that book and mm. it's hidden and there's only like two or three copies around and it's not in english and this is not something that is easily found look people thought that it actually existed he was uh was it the fbi that looked into lovecraft oh, yeah. and be like all right where did you get this crazy satanic bullshit from and he's like, no, 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 it's not satanic. I made it up. It's it's nonsense. It's all fictional. And it is. Despite the fact that people keep listing it on like antique sites and stuff and saying, I have a version of this. And it's not a real thing, okay? It's popularized these days because of Evil Dead more mm-hmm. than anything else. And the idea of it being bound in human flesh and written in blood is an Evil Dead thing. That's not even a Lovecraftian thing. Yeah, look into it. Dan's like, no, that's wrong. And I'm like, no, that's 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 how it is. I I really did my research on this one because everything that I read about it was contradictory. Everything that I thought was true about the Necronomicon isn't, right? And so the stuff that when I was looking into it, it's not even a spell book, really. It tells you how to, and everyone uses it as a grimoire, as a as a that's full of spells. It's just how to speak to the great old ones. And, and how to do some of the rituals, but it's not casting spells. It's, well, you want to use black candles for this and make sure that you have exactly 13 people for it. And it's almost, almost like a how-to guide to talk to them and to summon them, but you won't even do it because you go insane. I don't think that the Necronomicon is something that I could have in a game. Not the real Necronomicon, not the Lovecraftian version. I have one in my own personal game, yeah. and it is all about necromantic spells and raising the dead, and I leaned into the concept of Book of the Dead. But the Lovecraftian version, I wouldn't use in a D&D game, 
right? Because all you're going to do is give your players the power to summon Yig and Dagon and Sathogwa, and you don't want to do that. Now you're adding sanity rolls to your to your campaign every time they look in the book, right? And I don't know. A, a book of that power, like, I I wouldn't add it as a player-bound MacGuffin. I would definitely play it, uh, put it as... Um, you are trying to stop a cult from getting it or stop a... But but the moment you introduce it into the world, your players are going to want it. The same thing, I've never known a group of players to come across the deck of many things and not say, can we own it? Can we have it? I want that, please. All right? They're not scared of flipping the cards. They want to make other people flip the cards. Right? The, and that's the thing. This is, in my opinion, so powerful that you should not put it in the game because it's not what you think it is. It's something that's bigger and it's it's something that's um that's far more dangerous and we keep talking about the unknowable and the insanity and whatnot why well, we i wouldn't use yogg i wouldn't use cthulhu because it's a little on the nose and cheesy and i wouldn't use the necronomicon for exactly those two reasons mm-hmm. the fact that it's it's a little bit on the nose and cheesy and very unknowable and i wouldn't put it i wouldn't put it in a game and i and i Dan's looking shocked at me. He did not expect me to go this route. I'm like, I'll cover the Necronomicon. He's like, okay, good. Remember to talk about this. No, no, I will talk about this. <laughs> you have a totally different spiel. You you disagree with me, and I want to hear what you have to say. No, I mean, uh, I've I've actually owned the Lovecraftian Necronomicon book. Um, yeah, and, but it's just two short it. stories. No, no, like the actual Necronomicon. Like I've. I've I've, I've owned the one that has, like... Bound the, in human flesh. No, not bound in human <laughs> flesh, but, like, the one that is... Uh, has, like, the weird drawings and has the sayings that you guys heard earlier and where to find those. Like, the, 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 the incantations and the, and the cantrips to, to summon. Like, I, I've read through it. I, I love it. Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a fun little book. It's a great inspiration for uh, wizards and warlocks to really pull... Um, but into it, a more crafty sense of how to, if you want to generate what a spell looks like in D&D, you will go this route because there's material components, verbal components, there's how to hold your hand and what runes to draw. All of that is in here, and this is a really good place for inspiration for players. I really like it for that. But that book is not the Lovecraftian version. I know that it is all about the Lovecraft mythos, but it wasn't Lovecrafts. Somebody went and put all of this stuff together, almost as fanfic, because all of his stuff is public domain, and they said, here you go, here's all the stuff you can use, and that's fine, but that's not the stuff that's in Lovecraft's stories. Right, so I think what you're talking about this grimoire that's full of spells and rituals and the runes to draw and whatnot is fine, but it's not the true Lovecraft. I haven't, like I said, I have an Economicon in mine, in my campaign, my homebrew, yeah. but it's different. And I think that if you want to use it, you have to adapt it, you, because you can't use it as is. And even if you put it in the player's hands, that's a bad idea. That's giving them a loaded gun. Sure. Uh, you're just giving wish spells. Right at that third level, right? It's the same thing to me. By the time that you're able to summon any well, god you, you want from you, this mythos. You have to go through and you have to give them level appropriate challenges to gain the materials to do it, right? It's just an opening for more MacGuffin work, right? And and I'm okay with that in a game, right? I'm okay with the Lovecraftian version of this in a game. I'm like if you have a Lovecraftian great old one patron warlock in your group, you should have the Lovecraftian old great one version of the necronomicon in your game and and like have 
the uh, by the Lord, the Necronomicon is written by Al Azif, who is the uh, the crazy mad Arab, which is what he's just called. Um, uh, no, no, sorry, oh. sorry, sorry, no, uh, Abdul Al Hazred. Yeah, right? the, uh, the whatever you said, the Al Hazif. Yeah, the Al Hazif is in... yeah is what it's originally called, which is the nocturnal sound made by insects, uh, supposed to be the howling of demons. Right, it's basically the sound of crickets and echidnas just screeching. Um, yeah, and you know that makes was it Beelzebub that was the Prince of Flies? Yeah, like that's where that I think comes from as well. In a way, yeah. But no, there's a lot of but there's a lot of conflicting stuff too um, about Lovecraft's origins of the books and where it was and and where there have been copies of it and things like that as well. And the thing about it is. The book burns real easily. Uh, there have been hundreds of copies, apparently, that have just, like, been burned in libraries, and mm-hmm. they don't exist anymore. Well, there, uh, during the whole Satanic Panic thing, it was another one of those things that came up as um, a lot of D&D players were finding themselves with, you know, the Necronomicon. And then if you played D&D and you had a Necronomicon, you clearly were a Satan worshiper. So during the Satanic Panic in the 70s and 80s, man, like it, 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 this was a focal point for that movement. And a lot of books got burned because of it. Um, it is, keep in mind, a fictional book written in part by a crazy shut-in who experienced nightmares. Yeah, but that, but okay. See, and heavy abuse in his life, the, in part. This is where we're, we're splitting hairs is, I'm saying that you're talking about like the actual books that have been published. And I'm talking about the books that Lovecraft are talking about. In Lovecraft's like lifetime, no such book was ever published. He never published it. And while it will take quotes from his other books and put them into the Necronomicon, he never published it. It's fanfic. It's third party. Right? This most of Lovecraft, like most of what is Lovecraftian uh, canon is built beyond him after his death. No, like I, you look at this thing, uh, which is the one like uh, uh, Shoot him L, which was first appeared in 1969, way after he died. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right. aware of that. But I'm talking about that even in his original lore, it was easy to burn these books, right? These books that are, that were originally written by Abdul, whatever his name was, which is not even a real name, right? Yeah. Um, and and was discovered in the 1400s here and was in the 1700s. And he came with this whole backstory about the different translations and what cities they were in and when they, which libraries burned and whatnot. There's great, huge lore about it, but it's not real. None of it's real. And someone finally said, you know what? We should publish it. And it's the kind of stuff that you would expect to find at a Comic-Con. I'm not joking. That is the kind of stuff yeah. that I would expect to find at a Comic-Con. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. um, but again, if you're going to have a necromancer, I don't have any problem doing that. If you're going to have a great old one um, warlock patron, yeah, sure, you can give them a, the book. Especially their pack of the tome, man. Like I don't know. It, it, it's right there. That I, That is one of the... I think warlocks get packed of the tome because of that. Right? Like, it just, it fits the flavor to a T. Give them that ancient book that's been handed down from century to century, from guardian to guardian. The one that has managed to avoid burnings all the way through. You have your book of ancient shadows. And that is what this is. I'm, right? I'm telling you right now, I have a Necronomicon that is in one of my campaigns. I'm running an evil campaign on Tuesday nights. And on Monday nights, my 101 campaign with Mieka, she just died and went to hell. 
So I'm all about the big evil crazy nonsense and whatnot, but this is not something, the ability to summon gods is too much. I would have it be very difficult. Maybe you find pages from it. I'll give you that. But the ability to say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to bring forth Yogg-Sothoth into the Feywild. Like, don't do that shit. Well, is even my point. You, uh, sure. Well, I, I think you and I are actually kind of saying the same thing where I'm like, I'm okay with the book in there, but make it level appropriate to be able to cast these spells. If near impossible, right? Like a group of level 20 creature uh, characters who are going to Mount Celestia to talk to their gods should also be able to summon a warlock patron. Yeah, you know what? And, and deal with the ramifications thereof. If you are pulling a great old one into the material plane right into the middle of Neverwinter, you are destroying Neverwinter in your world. It's just what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, you're, you're bringing the apocalypse down, right? Guess and what? Next have, session, it's Dark Sun. Yeah, that's and, what's happening. And, and you're going to have a, you know, a team of plucky adventurers who are hunting your character down to stop you, right? Like, that's that's what I'm saying. Have it in there, sure, but it is a... This is 10th, 11th, 12th level magic. Yes, okay? 100%. That's, that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't include that in my regular D&D campaign. It would have to be a high-level evil campaign for me to do that, right? And I think that you're saying something similar. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily hold it to just evil characters, but yeah. But anyways, um, gentlemen, that is our talk off of the gods. Is there anything else we want to bring up? Dave, Dave has been the great white silence for the last like 20 minutes as well. He's just sitting there like ping pong neck going back and forth. looking. Uh, at the when you and I get into it, Terry often does the same thing too. Yeah. Well, Terry cowers under the table. So is there anything else we want to talk about the Lovecraftian gods? Lovecraft himself? Before we move on? No, Dan. I don't have anything else. Dave? Nope. Okay, cool. Well, that will be it for uh, today's special episode on uh, Lovecraft and Warlock patrons, specifically the great old ones. Uh, remember to tell your friends, and they can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the It's a Mimic podcast. Thank you.